Dear fellow redeemed, I want you to imagine a family. They're on summer vacation. They're traveling through Arizona. And they decide as they're going through, let's go to the Grand Canyon. And so they drive to one of the visitor centers along the rim of the Grand Canyon, pull into the parking lot. They walk from the car to the observation deck. There they are at the Grand Canyon. But the 16-year-old son from the parking lot car all the way to that observation deck has been looking at his smartphone. Just down, like this. And gets out on that deck. He's standing there. And somebody says to him, hey, you've got to look at this. It's amazing. He says, oh, I'm in the middle of a battle right now. I'm winning. And somebody else says, come on, you've got to take a look. Spectacular. He says, yeah, yeah, I will. I just, I, and I've heard that, you know, like Mount Everest is, is way more awesome than the Grand Canyon. So I, I'm good. And then after 20 minutes, the family, they've got a schedule. They have to leave. They go back to the car. They drive away, and the sun never looks up. He never gets to enjoy that awesome view of the Grand Canyon. And a month or two later at school, somebody asks him, oh, I heard you went to the Grand Canyon. How was that? Can his description of the Grand Canyon possibly in any way accurately describe the awesomeness the spectacle that is the Grand Canyon. There's no way that it can. He might say, well, yeah, I was there, but, you know, it wasn't as good as what people say. All I remember is it, it was hot. I want you to now imagine, instead of the Grand Canyon, imagine God. And instead of a 16-year-old boy, I want you to imagine humankind. God is awesome. God is amazing. The almighty creator of the universe. And yet there are so many people that live out their life on this planet enjoying the benefits and blessings from the hand of God, all of his providence. Some people live in such luxury and wealth, and yet they fail to look up. They fail to acknowledge God. They fail to observe him. They fail to learn about him in his word. And therefore, is it any wonder so many people don't have any awe for God like they should. At the end of Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul expresses his awe at the unfathomable wisdom of God. We continue our series on the Christian faith one word at a time. We're at the end of chapter 11, and our word for today is awe. Please stand as I read Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. 
Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his advisor? Or who has first given to God that he will be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Dear Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are the truth. We ask that you would increase our faith through them. Amen. Please be seated. The Apostle Paul concludes the section that we've been going through in Romans with a doxology. We call it a doxology, giving glory to God. He has covered the plan of salvation, God's wondrous plan of salvation, and in the last couple of chapters, he's gone through the intricate details and complexity of how that plan of salvation even works among the Jews and even, amazingly, the Gentiles. And he gets to the end of the chapter and he just expresses his awe at God. It's like he can't hold it back. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Expresses his awe. He describes the wisdom and knowledge of God. And he begins by saying, Oh! Grammatically, that's an interjection of admiration. It's, it's a word that's put there in the Greek when there are no words that can describe the amazing thoughts that the writer is having. I think if Paul was around today, he probably would have put in there the wow emoji. You know, the, the face with the big, the mouth open and the eyes open wide. Wow! Interjection of admiration is right there. He is expressing how magnificent the knowledge and the wisdom of God truly are. And not only does he have that, he, he triples down on it. He adds, oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. It's deep. It's not shallow. It's so deep. And not only that, he adds the depth of the riches. The riches. It is rich. It is plentiful. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. He is in awe at God's unfathomable wisdom and knowledge. Those two words, wisdom and knowledge, are covering, they encompass everything about God in His knowledge, His wisdom, His, his knowing of all of the facts and figures, but also how He understands and His experience that gives Him such wisdom in doing what he does and thinking the way he does. He is awesome. And we want to learn from Paul. Paul is being inspired by the Holy Spirit. He is seeing things from God here. And he, this is his expression, his natural reaction. And it's important for us too 
to see that, to, to act in humility towards God. There are many today who don't want to acknowledge God's wisdom. They want to think that they are equal to God in their wisdom or even that they surpass God in his wisdom. But I guess it's kind of like if you were to take a, a little puppy, put it on a desk, and on the whiteboard, write up on the whiteboard a complex mathematical equation, and then try to have that puppy comprehend and understand that equation. It, it's just not going to be possible for that creature. Even though he might be the brightest puppy in the litter, there's no way he's going to be able to understand that equation. And so, too, sometimes we can think, hey, I'm pretty smart compared to other people. And we make the mistake of thinking that we can match God's wisdom and knowledge. But that is a great misunderstanding and sinful. Paul goes on to say, how unsearchable are his judgments and how untraceable his ways. The judgments of God are the decisions that he makes, both negative ones, as in condemnations, but also positive ones. It's basically the way that he thinks. And then the Lord's ways are his actions. They're the paths that he has taken. And the apostle points out that these are unfathomable. They're unsearchable, they're untraceable. No one can work it out. Sherlock Holmes was famous for his ability, his abilities of observation, of detail, great detail, and also deduction. And he was able to solve crimes by that. Looking and saying, oh, look at her finger and the wedding band that's worn on one side, which meant that she was taking it on and off all the time. She was having an affair which led to the crime. So I'm able to fathom and work it out. But God's ways, his wisdom is so unfathomable that even Sherlock Holmes would be stumped. The way that God works in your life and for those who believe in him for their good, it is astounding and it's unfathomable. We can't trace it out. And especially when we consider, and I'm sure Paul has in mind here, the plan of salvation. It's something that humans would not expect. It seems backwards. It seems around the wrong way for humans. The problem being the sin of humans. The problem is with us and death that is the result. And so we would think that the plan of making up for that would come from us. But instead, God himself in his plan, which he worked out over millennia, decided that he himself, he would take on our human flesh, become one of us. Because his righteousness, his righteousness would be so great that it was over, able to overcome all of the sin of humankind. He had to be able to overcome death, but he could do that because his life was so great. He had to be able to win that victory. 
That was God's plan, an unlikely plan, an unimaginable plan, a plan that's only known to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we see how awesome it is. The Apostle Paul goes on to give a series of rhetorical questions. He says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his advisor? Or who has first given to God that he will be repaid? All of these rhetorical questions have the obvious answer, no one. No one can do these things. Now why did the Holy Spirit have these rhetorical questions recorded for us? Well, because the answer is that because we arrogant human beings, we sometimes think the answer is, I can. I can do that. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Yeah, I think I know the Lord's mind. Who has been his advisor? I think I can be. Lord, you know what you should be doing right now is this. What are you doing? We should not question God's wisdom try to think that we can advise him. I think it's interesting that human beings who have only been on this planet for several decades think that they can so quickly outsmart God. <laughs> Come up with ideas. Oh, I know something I've thought of. Hey, if there is a God and he is good, well then why is there evil? Hmm? I'm pretty smart. As if that question, for one thing, hasn't been asked for thousands of years, and as if that question hasn't been answered for thousands of years by Christians who know what the Scriptures say, where God gives us those answers, and had, have responded ad nauseum and, and replied to those, that question. But, oh no, I've got it worked out. I've stumped God. Christianity is a fraud. Certainly, that arrogance is something that we definitely need to repent of. The Apostle Paul also said, well, who has first given to God that he will be repaid? Here, perhaps he has in mind the words of Job chapter 41, where God expresses and says, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Everything belongs to God. It's all His. Conversely, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that everything that you have, you have received from the Lord. It's a one-way street. Everything's the Lord's. You've received it from the Lord. And yet again, in our arrogance as sinful human beings, we often want to think, we want to answer the question, I've done that. I've given to the Lord. Maybe we uh, frame that thought, we construe that arrogance in this line of thinking, perhaps with a lot of emotion in our hearts. After I have done so much for you, Lord, this is what you allow to happen to me? Think about that after I've done so much, after everything that I've done for you, wait a minute, let's stop right there. 
God doesn't owe you or me anything except perhaps condemnation for our sins. That's what God owes us if he's going to be fair. But instead, out of his great mercy and with his wise plan of salvation, he took away that condemnation. He put it on his own son. For the sake of Christ, he forgives you and me for all of our sins, all of our arrogance. And he gives eternal life to all who believe in him. It's through faith. And so, because of this, when we see the awesomeness of God, like Paul, we don't, we don't want to ignore God. We don't want to fail to look at Him or learn about Him, but rather, we, like Paul, we want to do those things and we want to be in awe of the Lord. When we see His amazing plan of salvation, like we sung in the hymn, that even the vilest sinner is redeemed by the blood of His Son. What an amazing plan. Lord, You are awesome. Paul says at the end of our lesson, to Him be the glory forever. Amen. Our response to the Lord is to worship Him. That's our response. That's what the awe is for us. It's worship. The, the Apostle Paul says, to Him be the glory. He doesn't say to Him be glory, but rather he says to Him be the glory. The theologian Lenski said that that definite article there with the glory means that this glory is the full power of all of the glory that exists belongs to God. All of it goes to Him. To Him be glory forever. Have you ever had a moment of glory in your life? Have you heard the saying that everybody, on average, they have 15 minutes of fame in their life? Have you had that yet in your life? If you have, what, what was that like? Had you done a great performance and suddenly you got a standing ovation from the crowd? Everyone was admiring your work, acknowledging your accomplishment. Or maybe you met some awesome goal, you made some great achievement, and, and perhaps it was even televised. You're on TV getting accolades from many, many people. But how long did it last for? Fifteen minutes? You know, some people achieve such great things, such great awesome accomplishments in human standards that they achieve the admiration of many people for months, years, some even decades, they do such amazing things. And yet even that glory that they receive, that admiration, comes to an end eventually. The next generation comes along, and it's forgotten. But what God has done, what He has accomplished, the amazing, awesome being that He is, deserves all of the glory that exists, and not just for 15 minutes or even a century, but forever. And he is going to receive it forever. 
And so we want to join in giving that awe to the Lord that He deserves and which we will continue as believers into eternity joining with the heavenly host giving to Him. Jesus saved the world. He has accomplished the world's salvation. Jesus saved you. He forgave you your sins at the cross and the Holy Spirit has given you faith to know, to repent of your sins and to trust in Him for salvation. You have eternal life waiting for you through faith in Christ. And so we want to have awe towards the Lord. And that's what we're doing right now. We call this worship. What we're doing in this room right now, what you're doing online right now, is worship. We also call it another name, divine service, which teaches us what's, what's happening here. God is serving us. Divinity is serving us. God is coming to us through the Word and the sacraments, in the lessons and in the sermon. We look, we see that magnificent view. We ponder God, His ways and what He has done as we learn about Him, as we observe Him, as we see His love for us. And then we respond with our worship to the Lord in our songs, in our hymns, in our praises, in the psalms, in our prayers, in our offerings, in all that we do to show our awe to the Lord. We worship Him. Dear friends, God has accomplished the greatest achievement of all. He has won your salvation so that now you can spend eternity in heaven with all of the saints for the sake of Jesus, His life, death, and resurrection. Let us, with Paul, be filled with awe. Amen.